Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of our series Logistics in Motion. And with me today again is Peter Hawkins. And with me is Arnon Mello. Hi, Peter. Hello, Arno. We're back here on episode three. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we're going to talk today about a little bit about ocean freight. Ocean freight has made the news lately, as we all know, because of the evergreen ship, the Ever Given, uh, blocking the Suez Canal for five or six days and preventing 400 ships from getting through, 300 one way, 100 the other way. And suddenly, ocean freight cargo has become a fascinating topic and everybody wants to know about it. So um, ultimately, ocean freight can travel many ways. It can travel on a flat deck, on top of the deck, but really, most cargo travels in containers. And even though the Suez Canal story was a dramatic story and one that really did catch everyone's imagination because the ship was so big and the blockage was so enormous, we've had our own situations much closer to home. Yes. We had a few years ago a ship coming in uh, to the Port of Montreal through the St. Lawrence Seaway. And uh, it was winter time. I think it was February. Lots of ice in the St. Lawrence. And of course, this ship got stuck in the ice, which it doesn't happen very often. And the steamship line contacted us and said, we are going to declare general average. And of course, for the first time, we had a container on that ship for one of our major, major accounts. And uh, that container was actually for Walmart. And when we heard that the steamship line was going to declare general average, we freaked out because this is a very serious situation in which uh, general average, in order to basically save the ship, the ship is allowed to throw containers overboard in order to save the crew, the ship, and everything else. Uh, the integrity of the ship needs to be saved above all. And that was very worried for us, worrisome. But ultimately, we had a happy ending to this story because, of course, the ship was able to get out of the ice and did not have to jettison cargo. And uh, it uh, made it to port and everything ended up with a happy ending. However, it is a big reminder of the importance and the value of insurance. If you don't have insurance to protect yourself, you run some terrible risks. If you don't build in time into your delivery schedule, you run into serious risk too. We've been living in a just-in-time delivery uh, situation for years now, but I will tell you there are greater risks with that all the time, especially if you're a new entrepreneur trying to build something. Yeah, and in the time of COVID, Peter, I think it's also important, as you said, just-in-time is being replaced with just-in-case. And what does that mean? It means that the traditional routes and traditional ways of doing supply chain, you got to think of an alternative because we're living in an era that everything changes every 24 hours, right? Or every hour something happens. So you need to have sort of a second plan uh, to source material, to source suppliers, to transit goods or ship goods because you don't know what's going to happen next week. And some of the things that are worrisome now, with the uh, blockage of the Ever Given and with uh, many of the factories in China that have uh, slowed down back in the early spring and now are uh, a year ago and now have ramped up, many of those orders and those consumer good ships are coming into the west coast of Canada or coming in through the east coast. And what is happening is there's becoming great blockages at the ports. There's blockages in Vancouver with, uh, you know, 30 ships waiting to offload and a thousand containers on the deck trying to 
get um, on the dock trying to uh, you know meet their rail obligations and um, then there's there's worries about uh, different ports having uh, uh, labor actions and delays and there's all kinds of things that we never expected that are really kind of ramping up on top of that too there's a shortage of containers there are ships that are bringing uh, containers here but not picking up cargo or agricultural products to take back they're just turning right around and going back so there's not enough containers there's not enough seafarers. COVID has really affected the number of sailors. So there's not enough people who are actually on the ship, sailing the ship safely. And of course, there is a real um, a worry about which port you should bring it into. Luckily, Port St. John has been a wonderful asset because they've really been flexible and been able to take uh, ships. Halifax always. Montreal is um, has some worries right now because there is the third possible stoppage happening. Vancouver, Prince Rupert, great. The dry port of Toronto, fine. Um, and then, of course, the American ports with um, uh, Port Elizabeth in New Jersey and ports in the West Coast, too, in California. There's some real concerns because there's lots and lots of cargo coming through. Yes. And, of course, when uh, a crew on any ship is being tested you know, positive for COVID, that ship cannot dock, right? So these people are locked on this ship and quarantine until the crew uh, is better. And that has created such a huge problem. Uh, ships not being able to dock, to offload, and you can just imagine the chain reaction it creates. So even though a, a, an ocean voyage can be uh, 20, 30, 40 days, um, there's still actions that have to be done quickly in order to figure out which port it's going to be and what the blockage is and what the timeline is and who's ahead of you and all that stuff. So, And then, of course, you have to offload the containers and either put them on the rail in Canada, put them on a truck in the U.S., and it becomes uh, a complicated process to you know, not have too many trucks hitting the dock at the same time. It's pretty crazy. That said, we have a new venture that we've been doing, which is our reefer ocean container. And uh, Arna, why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So last year when COVID, you know, hit and disrupted so many aspects of the supply chain, especially flights all over the world, and especially flights between Canada and Brazil. We were without any flights for two months. Uh, frozen product that comes from Brazil to Canada of all the beautiful Brazilian food, açaí, pão de queijo, and uh, massa de pastel, baked goods and stuff. So they couldn't come. So we uh, were uh, able to develop a, the first ever, uh, there is no other freight forwarder in Canada who did this project, we created our very own reefer consolidation container from Santos to Toronto. So what's a reefer? It's a temperature controlled container and you can put the temperature you want plus 2 degrees, plus 10 degrees, minus 18 degrees Celsius. That's what this container is. And um, it is a consolidated container, which means that different clients can load uh, any quantity of product they have, uh, one pallet, two pallets, three pallets, and they are charged by the space that occupies in the container. So an ocean freight from Santos to Toronto, it will be much cheaper. It is much cheaper than an air freight of the same volume for those uh, frozen goods. So we are now on our sixth container from Santos to Toronto has been a, a tremendous success and thanks to our customers who have supported us. And we also initiated, we're on our second um, dry LCL consolidation. The aspect that really uh, sets us apart on these consolidations is that both of them 
come to Canada on a direct service to Canada, which means they do not touch U.S. soil. And this is huge because the U.S., every shipment that transits there can be pulled for inspection, can be inspected, can be delayed for one to two weeks for this inspection, and the inspection costs are very, very high. So uh, bringing a container directly to a Canadian port from Brazil, even with a transit in the Caribbean, it saves so much headaches, right? Canada it's much flexible, uh, it's, it's much faster when it comes to inspection, and it has been a, a huge success because of that. Another aspect of bringing ocean to Canada on a direct basis is that before the ship docks at a port, we two days before, we can submit the clearance to Canada Customs, and the entire container basically you know, can be pre-cleared before it lands. Sometimes when it's pulled for inspection, it will take 24 hours once it arrives. So it's still much faster than a week or two in inspection in the U.S. What else I think is important is is entrepreneurs should know that this is a great way to start. If you are importing frozen goods, this is a much better cost-effective way than doing air freight for your product. And I think that makes things very exciting. I think something else that people don't realize, too, is how the container business actually works when it comes to getting that container to your uh, facility and, and loading it for exports. So, Arno, can you give a little detail there about um, picking up the empty container uh, from the uh, container yard, which is usually in Brampton, and uh, delivered to your location? And then it can stay there for a certain amount of time where you have to load it. You load it uh, according to a pattern that will allow for good distribution of weight. Once it's loaded, the trucker will come bring it back and will lock it with a seal and give you a copy of the number of the seal. And um, then with the container uh, locked and loaded, it is then delivered back to the uh, port where it follows the uh, path to get on the ship, be loaded on the ship in an eventual sequence and then moved away and then sent off on its merry way. But people don't realize is that there's time is, is a huge factor. You have to be ready to load that thing as quickly as you can because there is a cost to bring it to you, there is a cost of waiting time while you load it, and there's a cost to take it away from you. So you need to minimize those costs as much as possible because done improperly, they can really add up. Yeah, very good point. So when the container is taken to a, a shipper, you have normally two hours to load that container, which is two free hours. So of course, depending on the product, you're going to take much longer to load. If it's uh, hand bombed or you know it's in boxes and you're going to load every box uh, piled up, they're not on pallets. So that's going to take longer. So you need to tell your agent, look, this container needs to stay with me for 24 hours or whatever over the weekend. And uh, we need to inform the steamship line that the container is going to be held for a period of time. The trucker also uh, will charge to uh, basically wait for the container to be ready the next day or two days from, from that time. So it's all about planning. It's all about communication. So you need to tell your agent what you need, how long you need it, and then it will be uh, done accordingly. Another thing that is important today, and this started a few years back, is a document called SOLAS. Uh, safety of lives at sea. And what is this document? This document is when I take a container to a shipper and it's the shipper who's going to load in their warehouse, whatever they you know decide they're going to load uh, based on their commercial invoice and packing list. 
the shipper needs to fill out this document, sign the document confirming that what they loaded into that container is exactly as per the commercial invoice and packing list. And they are aware that there are no hazardous materials in that shipment. If there are hazardous materials, they need to declare this properly to us, the freight forwarder. And this document basically tells the shipper that they are responsible if something happens to that cargo or to the container in transit in the middle of the ocean. It could damage the ship, or it could, it could uh, uh, cause harm to a staff on the ship. So it is the sole responsibility of a shipper to declare what's inside the container. A freight forwarder will never be liable by a container being loaded uh, you know, on behalf of a shipper. So this is really, really important if you're going to get an in international business. Peter, I think now, just on a lighter note, I want to tell uh, the story of a horse, right? <laughs> <laughs> because that was a funny story. Here we are again talking about animals, but we have so many stories of things that we shipped and requests that we get. So... Um, you know, planning is important, of course, and sometimes I get phone calls of people that are not really aware what can be shipped on an ocean container. So I got a call from a gentleman a few years ago saying that he wanted to ship a horse to Europe. And immediately I thought, oh, okay, great, I'm ready to give him the speech of how a horse is shipped by air and the details and how expensive it is and the preparation and all of that. And then before I could start explaining to him how horses are shipped by air, he says, well, Arno, I want to, you know, take this horse to Europe on a container. And I'm like, oh my God, he has no clue. So <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's enlighten him. So I, I uh, you know, started to tell him that, well, a horse cannot be loaded into a dry container because it would die. That's how simple it is. Uh, as you can imagine, a container is used for machine parts, for food items, things that don't breathe, right? That they're not alive because the, first of all, if you ship a container in the summertime, the, the inside of the container can reach over 50 degrees or more because it's steel. So it will be, there is no ventilation, there is nothing, is, it's impossible to load anything uh, living inside of a container. So I had to describe to him that horses were shipped by air, that they will cost seven to $8,000 roughly per horse, and that a, a vet needs to travel with the horse uh, to make sure it's ready to use tranquilizers to calm the horse during transit if something happened. Horses are very strong and powerful animals, and they could damage a plane if they become out of control in, in, at 30,000 feet in the air. So anyway, needless to say, um, he didn't ship the horse with us, I don't think it was the answer he wanted, but uh, that's what the reality was of shipping this horse. <laughs> that was a funny story and a funny phone call. Anyway, just to wrap up, let's. Uh, we've been talking about ocean cargo and ocean freight and talking about container cargo, general average insurance, and uh, concerns about planning properly because there are so many things you can't predict. So giving yourself enough time making sure you have the right documentation and making sure you have the right plan in place is so important. And of course, call your freight forwarder. Correct. Call us, talk to your freight forwarder, give them what you want, what you need in accordance to your INCO terms. We'll be talking about INCO terms on another episode, but uh, planning, as Peter said, is essential. Uh, it is the key to success. And also, 
knowing what your customer on the other side needs in that particular shipment. What do they need in terms of documents to clear the cargo on the other side when it arrives? You have a responsibility here as a shipper to export the product, but you need to have a communication with your customer to know uh, what do they need when the when the shipment arrives uh, on the other side? Because you might need to help them with certain documents to make the clearance um, possible, right? So planning, structure, and uh, definitely exchange of information with your freight forwarder. That's right. My final words are thanks to everyone for listening. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate the feedback. Uh, every time we do this, uh, hopefully we're getting a little bit better. Thanks so much. And... Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.